0: Pac 12 has had a lot of really good teams this year. It's really, really deep. You have seven teams right now with seven or more wins. When was the last time it was this good, and why is it this good? Let's go.
1: You are locked on Pac 12, your daily podcast on the Pac 12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. You know, one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Omaha Steaks, a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit OmahaSteaks.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. And I am joined once again today here on Lockdown Pack 12 by, I imagine, a, a jubilant Carter Baines of BeaverBlitz.com. He had a pretty good uh, up and down Saturday afternoon. There were highs, there were lows. It ended in a high. But um, Carter, just real quick, a, a mood check for you on a personal level there, my friend. How's it going? jubilant
1: uh seems 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 about right I, I think that works um i don't have my chainsaw with me today it's over uh, on <laughs> on the table over there but um, vroom vroom. <laughs> vroom vroom yeah but what, just what a roller coaster a roller coaster of a game a roller coaster of emotions highs and lows for both teams on saturday at research stadium and an absolute classic i i went into this game saying saying man this has instant classic potential um, Vegas kind of said the same thing with how that line moved at the very yeah, last it crazy. minute. That was uh, the, everything the, about it was crazy. The, the PAC 12 refs said, yeah, let's make this thing an instant classic. Um, no, man, that was oh, yeah. unbelievable. All, all the it, way around it, just a remarkable game.
0: Yeah. It, it was an amazing college football game and a rivalry game to boot. We'll get to the, the ramifications from that later, but you and I were talking before we came on here to record the show about you know, the depth of the Pac 12. And it's really deep. It's it's really deep. You know, a few weeks ago, there were three teams legitimately with a shot at the college football playoff in the Pac 12, USC, UCLA, and Oregon. Since then, they've all done what the Pac 12 always does, they've cannibalized themselves. By the way, Washington would be in that mix if they hadn't lost to checks notes. Arizona state. Like how do you how do you explain that? That's the most Pac-12 thing <laughs> of all Pac-12 things. We also play a 9 game conference schedule unlike those cowards in the SEC. But anyway, so um I I really think that this is been an exceptional year. I'm so excited for bowl season because I want to see these Pac-12 teams go on national television and put up a good mark. After the last couple of years have been really really bad, I think you could have some good matchups because they are going to be some good teams. Playing in some, you know, lower tier quote unquote bowl games or whatever against opponents that I think they could beat. But we, we were looking at a card. This is really kind of the deepest the conference has been when you're going top to bottom quality of teams and with the number of good teams you have at the top since like 2012, 2013. There have been some good years, but that year you had four teams end the season, including their bowl game with 10 wins. You could very easily have that this year. Because you've got UCLA, Oregon State, Oregon, all sitting at nine wins right now. And then and Utah, by the way, all sitting at nine wins. And then Washington and USC are already at double-digit wins. You could look up at the end of the year and go, man, the Pac-12's got a lot of good teams where Washington State is team number seven. It's been remarkable.
1: Yeah, you bring up the whole like good teams playing in lower-tier bowls, and in, in, in quotes, thing, and I use that as kind of a test of, all right, how deep is the conference? Because I go back to to 2012, the last time Oregon State finished the regular season at nine and three, the Beavers played in the Alamo Bowl that year, which obviously is like, you know, that's the number two bowl in the Pac-12. So if you're a nine-win Oregon State team going to that bowl that year, but then you look up this year and you say, wow, well, we're, we're going where? We're going to El Paso potentially? Like you could see a nine-win Oregon State team rank in the top 15 and go to the the Sun Bowl because there's five teams ahead of it in the Pac-12 standings that you know in bowl selection processes look more attractive for for various reasons but i think that speaks more to the depth of of the conference this year and and where it's come from the from years past um obviously like you said this is a conference that likes to cannibalize itself a little bit so you know very often you see a nine win team lose to a the three and six team in conference play or something like that. Um, But this year there has been less of it. Uh Arizona state beating Washington is a, a prime example. I, I think Arizona UCLA is somewhat on, on the same boat there. I, I um, completely agree, but that's two cases. And, and, and that's really it. Um And, and teams like Oregon state stepping up UCLA, taking that next step as well. um, Washington getting back to prominence, you know, You saw a lot of programs take a step forward this year, but nobody really took a step back. Um, So I think that's why you're seeing more high end teams at the top, but also the middle of the pack is uh, is is quite a bit stronger than it has been in years past.
0: Well, Colorado took a step back, unfortunately, and we're actually going to talk about Colorado later in later in the show because coaching candidates are are starting to are starting to fall into place here. Colorado's has not yet at at this point in time. But w- when I think about why the conference is where it is, Carter, where you have legitimate national pundits like Joel Klatt for instance saying the Pac-12 is the second or third best conference in the country whereas 5 6 years ago or so or really even just maybe even less than that, you would have said, "Well, no, it's it's number four at best. Maybe it's better than the ACC. It's way better than the ACC, I think. I think it's been stronger. It's deeper than the Big Ten. I think it's, with, with USC there at the top, I think it's 100% better top to bottom than than the Big Ten. And it's certainly better than the Big 12. So you look up and say, like, okay, maybe the Big Ten's ahead of it, but I don't know. With USC in there, it kind of feels like they're in that category. But the the way that this has happened, Carter, I think has been pretty simple. They've brought in a lot of really good quarterbacks and they're making good coaching hires. And we'll see if the, the teams that have to hire new coaches now, Arizona State, of course, bringing in Kenny Dillingham. We'll be talking about that tomorrow here on the show with my guy, Richie Bradshaw, locked on Sun Devils. You're making good coaching hires, whereas... From twenty, you know, fourteen to twenty twenty, we saw Clay Helton at USC. <sighs> we saw Gary Anderson at Oregon State. I'm sorry I Ooh. even brought it up. Ooh. yeah, God. yeah, yeah. I know. That's yeah. that's not the mood that Oregon State fans are in right now. But I think you've been making the right coaching hires, the right coaching moves, and you've been bringing in high level players, particularly this year at the quarterback position.
1: I see your Gary Anderson raise you a Willie Taggart there as well. <laughs> Um, no, I, when you were, when you're discussing this, I, I was thinking internally, man, this comes back to coaching and it comes back to quarterbacks and you hit on both of them for one coaching. Look at what Kalen DeBoer has done in year one at Washington. Look at what Lincoln Riley. Yes. Look at what Jonathan Smith has done over four now going on five years at Oregon state, Lincoln Riley coming in right away, turning that program around. Um, or, or maximizing it, I guess, is is the better way of putting it. Chip Kelly building UCLA over a couple of years. I mean, these are great coaching performances. Kyle Whittingham, of course, is is as steady as it comes at Utah. So steady, Eddie. Exactly. Like the top half of this conference is just loaded with elite coaching, really, and it, it, as well as the the quarterback position too. A lot of this is, has been done with the transfer portal. I mean, most of the starting quarterbacks in this conference are portal guys. Michael Penix Jr. I believe the number is nine. Michael Penix Jr., Caleb Williams. I mean, the only guy who's actually homegrown and like legitimately good is Dorian Thompson Robinson. Correct. But like everybody else that is remotely good in this conference at the quarterback position is a transfer. So again, that I think that partially goes back to the coaching situation as well, where, you know, credit to the coaches for going and identifying that talent and landing it. Um, no, it's, it, it first and foremost comes back to the coaching. The Pac-12 has a much higher level of coaching from top to bottom right now than it did even two, three years ago. Um, and you are seeing better play from the most important uh, position on the field.
0: Yeah, the the coaching hires have been tasty in a number of ways, kind of like Omaha Steaks. The steak expert at Omaha Steaks have put together special curated gift packages to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero, because guess what? It's officially the holiday season. Christmas music, Christmas trees, Christmas lights. Everything Christmas oriented. Yeah, that's all fair game in my view right now. Go to omahasteaks.com and use code LOCKEDON to get checkout, to go get $30 off your order at checkout. Send an assortment of mouth-watering favorites, guaranteed to impress, like the legendaries Butcher's Cut Filet Mignon, my personal favorite cut of steak, though there are many. There are many great options there. Air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra-juicy burgers, and even easy-to-repair comfort meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable. Buy order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com, use promo code Locked On at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. I, I I just think it really does come down to coaching because look like go up and down. Deborah at Washington, that looks like a home run. Lanning at Oregon had some stumbles this year, but looks like a good hire. Did he come into a fortuitous situation? Yeah. So did Brent Venables. Look how that went. Like When you have a guy who, who isn't it, who can't find it, it becomes very clear very soon. USC goes out and gets Lincoln Riley. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State has done a fantastic job. I think there is an element of, you know, Oregon State and UCLA kind of culminating their rebuilds at the same time as to why the conference has been so, so good this year. But I I look at other hires as well. Jake Dickert at Washington State. Who wants? Does anybody want to play the Cougars? My hand is down. It is firmly down on my desk if I'm a third grader being asked that particular question because. I don't want to play Washington State, and I think they're a good team, and I think they got better and better as the year went on. I look at Jed Fish at Arizona. Yeah, it was really bad last year. It was a mess. They won five games this year. That's like the overperformance of the century. That, that might be overstating, of course, though the century is only 22 years old, so you, you, you never know and whatnot not. But I just think there have been so many good hires, and – Look, I have a lot of respect for David Shaw. We're going to talk about him a, a little bit later here on the show, but I think it was time for him to move on. I'm glad that that's ending the way that it did. Colorado said, nope, this is not up to the the standard that that we have here as as an institution. They're moving on from Carl Durrell. I question what Cal is doing with Justin Wilcox, but I don't think Wilcox is that bad of a coach. Like, if Justin Wilcox is your well, let's see. You know, three coaches were were let go. So if he's, what, your ninth best coach? Yeah, you'll take that. <laughs> I mean, that's just from a, a depth perspective. Justin Wilcox as your ninth best coach. That's a pretty good place
1: to be as a league. And he'll get a new offensive coordinator next year, too. So we'll see what he can make of that. You know, I think if he, he, he has to get that higher right. Yes. Um, but if he does, I think Cal could finally maybe crack that top half of the conference um, get out of the the five to six win ceiling that they've been that they've been at since Wilcox got there Um, no it's interesting that you do mention a couple of the coaches who who have left as well because David Shaw is one of those guys who I would have thrown in that conversation we just had about the elite coaches in this conference it did kind of feel like his time was up and I don't necessarily think it's his fault um, I think it's more a, a testament to what the university has has done or not done in this era of college football. Um, I think, you know, I, I would not be surprised to see David Shaw take a couple of years off from coaching, a la Urban Meyer or you know Chris Peterson, and and get back into it maybe at the NFL at some at some point. But um, I, I think anybody who lands David Shaw after this is is going to be lucky because I don't really think it's his fault that that Stanford has taken a. A turn for the worst but i'm glad you brought up Jed fish as well because I, I we didn't talk about him as being one of those great coaches but what he's done from year one to year two i mean they that
0: had a 20 game losing streak 20 at a program that has been to one pac-12 championship game has been to one new year six or bcs game since 2010 and, th- and that took place uh maybe two I, th- I might just be one. I think it was with a new Solomon in that year that they lost Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. So he's at a program that doesn't have a great history of winning at a high, high level. And yeah, they went one and eleven last year, but it was a competitive one and eleven. It wasn't Colorado this year, right? Like that's a completely different situation. And they go, they're one win away from bowl eligibility. I mean, imagine Carter. They could be six and six if. Their, if their school had decided, ah eh, no, we don't want to play Mississippi State. Let's back out and play, you know, let's play Fordham or Boring you know some, yeah, but... play somebody like that. They'd be six and six and going to a bowl. They could have done that. They chose not to. I respect them for not doing that. By the way, but i i really just look up and down and am so optimistic even with usc and ucla departing about the coaches you have there like we've been talking about coaches for 15 minutes or so we haven't even mentioned kyle whittingham really (laughs) that guy is just a really good coach like utah's never bad they've never won fewer than five games since he's gotten into the league coming from a mountain west like it's it's just remarkable and I think you have to credit the athletic directors at all these schools because they're the ones who are leading the searches. They're the ones who are making the final decisions on this is the guy we're going to hire to lead our football program. And I, I think just about everybody has done an exceptional job. Uh, I want to transition into the, those two coaching vacancies that remain now that Dillingham is at ASU. But. As a senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com, it would be a crime to all the Beaver fans who are out there. And I know there are several of you. And given my personal background, I appreciate you listening to or, or watching this show. But I watched that game, Carter. And, of course, on a personal level, I felt many things. But once I had time to try and you know get it way out of my head, which I haven't yet, and this is going to take a little <laughs> while, I feel like for Oregon it's not more it's 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 a bad loss. That's what it is. Not worried about the trajectory there. But for Oregon State, because you were down big, because you were at home, because Oregon was rolling and that's a game where in previous years the Beavers might have thrown in the towel and said better luck next year maybe. It felt like to me, and I'm curious what you feel on the inside of that program there. I know you're very close to it. It feels like it has the potential to be worth more than just one win on a Saturday in the fall, electrifying though it was for the fans in Reese.
1: Yeah, you know, it was, it was kind of the pinnacle of this rebuild. Um, it it felt like the finishing touch on the the process that has taken now four going on five full years um to to build it up from a, a one-win program and and a two-win team from Jonathan Smith's first year to Notching more and more wins on an annual basis, throwing out 2020, you know they have won. I, I go back; they went from two to five to seven, and now to nine. With if, if you throw out COVID, so you know they're they're improving by multiple wins every year. Um And and you know you you cap it off with a win like that in the fashion that you did it against a team of the caliber that you beat at home too, in front of countless re- recruiting visitors. I mean, this was the biggest recruiting weekend uh, of the season for Oregon state. The reactions that I've heard from all of those visitors, the reactions that I saw in the Valley football center after that game went final, the reactions I saw on the field, with players and fans, um, unlike anything I have seen at Oregon state, as long as I've been covering the program and I started covering it this, the, the first year that Jonathan Smith took over. Um, so, you know, this goes back to 2018 the, the emotion I saw after that game, the the tears of joy, the laughter, the, you know, just overall the emotions was, was unmatched. And, and that's players, that's coaches, that's fans. So it has the feeling of kind of, you know, like I said, the pinnacle of the rebuild, but also something that like, you know, Oregon State's going to be like, hey, we've seen the success. We don't want to take a step backward now. You know, it feels like, okay, we're here. We've arrived. Now let's start competing for something greater. It has more of that feeling than like a "all right, we did it," you know, time to move on.
0: Yeah, I, I I think the word arrival is is accurate because you you make a great point that it's just been slow and methodical. And at a program like Oregon State, where you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a big national brand, you don't have you know access to the sort of recruiting base that even like an Arizona or Arizona State would right in your backyard. It's a tough thing to build up. And when Jonathan Smith took it over, I I mean, Carter, that team is comparable to this year's Colorado team, right? Like that, that's, that's the equivalent here. Like imagine Colorado, whoever they hire right now, four or five years down the line, they stick it out. They're there and they end a nine and three season with a big time out physicaling comeback win against Utah. That's that like, that's, what we're talking about here, it was so, so impressive. And then what we're going to close on Oregon State with this thought, and I am I, going to speak this into existence, Carter, because we, we've talked about it all year on the show. Oregon State is going to need a stopgap quarterback next year because I don't think anyone is expecting Aiden Childs to come in and be this world beater, incredible true freshman. Like, A year of development is warranted there. So what would you like to have if you're Oregon State? You'd like to have a veteran quarterback who can mentor him. You'd like to have a guy who can come in and play at a higher level than what you had at the quarterback position this year. That they went nine and three. With, you know, Nolan throwing some really great passes and also a lot of bad interceptions. And then Ben Goldbranson, who we know is severely limited. He's like the Jimmy Garoppolo of quarterbacks, you know, like, yeah, you can win with him, you know, as long as you don't ask him to throw the ball very much at the quarterback position. The irony, yes, not lost on me and whatnot. But anyway, I think, and I texted this to a Beaver friend of mine during the game, Cade McNamara. I think that is a perfect fit. He's got experience. He knows how to win football games. He's going to be able to execute a pro-style offense. He is a better quarterback and will protect the ball better than, than Gold Branson and Nolan did this year. And that's the biggest thing that held Oregon State back. That is a 10-win caliber Oregon State team if they have better quarterback play this year. You could even make an argument for, for 11. Not even kidding. It's not. It's just not that ridiculous to say. And I think Cade McNamara, who's in the transfer portal, took Michigan to the college football playoff. He was in an offense that was run centric and required him to be a high level executor or game manager. And that's what this Oregon State offense needs to reach its full potential. It's rooted in the ground game. Carter, I think that is a match made in heaven. I think that's where Oregon State should go. There are other there are other choices. Sure. I think Cade McNamara is a great fit.
1: Cade McNamara is on Oregon State's radar. There are a couple of quarterbacks out there that I know the Beavers are interested in. Um, Some have hit the portal officially. McNamara, of course, is going to be number one on a lot of teams lists. Um, But I don't think there's a team out there that would benefit more from a transfer portal quarterback at this juncture than Oregon State. In fact, I I, I came into the season saying Oregon State at the time was a JT Daniels, what we thought JT Daniels was going to bring via the portal away from being an 11 and one team or a 12 and O team. And I think now looking back on how the season transpired, you can make the argument, like you said, you know, the three point loss to USC, the three point loss to Washington. If you don't throw four picks at Utah, you could be an 11 or 12 win team with, yeah, be, with an above be, average. Be, I, I think, I think 11 probably the the cap winning in Salt yeah. Lake city.
0: That that's that's asking a lot like Utah is still a very good football team, but I'm totally with you. It's a I mean, it's at least 10 if JT Daniels is there.
1: Yeah. And and JT and if JT Daniels performs at the level that, you know, we all expected he would um, out of the portal. So look, you know, Oregon State's offense, it, it does lose a couple of key guys. I think that offensive line is going to be great for years to come. The running back room is absolutely loaded. The weapons are still there. You know, Oregon State does still need the quarterback, um, but he, he will have elite guys to hand it off to, and he will have elite protection. Um, so if they can bring it in you know, that's the key to, to getting this offense to take the next step. The defense, I don't have any concerns about. In fact, today, as we record this, Trent Bray was just extended through 2024. And as long as he's there, I think this defense is going to be one of the best in the conference. So really, you know, with everything that comes back, with the coaching continuity, I, I think the one thing that that you look at that needs to change is the quarterback position. and And the transfer portal is going to be the key to do it. Because like we just said, Aiden Childs is, is probably not going to be the answer as a 17-year-old freshman.
0: Yeah, and I, I think they could maybe use another perimeter weapon or two. Um, yeah. Oregon absolutely. Oregon just had a good wide receiver going to the transfer portal, Dante Thornton. I, I mean, Oregon State has taken a, a good offensive skill position from position player from the Ducks before they did with Thomas Tyner back when the, the, the Beavs were struggling. Like, I think that'd be a good weapon to have. Like, there, there are... are Plenty of other options on that front, but to me, that's really all that's missing. The offensive line, great. Running backs, amazing. Defense, really good. You need better quarterback play. That's number one. And then maybe another weapon or two on the perimeter who's – like, you know, Treshaun Harrison is good. I think he's better as a number two than as a true number one. If you had a guy who you could, you know, rely on from time to time to go out there and just – you say, hey, we're going to put you on an island – you're going to go one-on-one and run a slant route. We need to pick up third down and five. I think that, you know, can just add just a, a tiny little extra extra dimension there. But um, I I'm, I don't want college football to end because it's my favorite sport in the world, as all of you can probably tell. But I am so excited for the number of possibilities. The transfer portal opens on December 5th. It's going to be a madhouse in there. It's going to be absolutely nuts. But I want to close the day with those two coaching vacancies that still remain in the Pac-12, Stanford and Colorado. Colorado has reportedly offered Deion Sanders the job. He has not yet accepted, as we record this on Monday night. I think that'd be a good hire for Colorado, if not only that it would it would make them interesting. Deion Sanders is interesting. He is a big personality. He is a well-known name. He also appears to be a good football coach. You know he'd probably be able to recruit at a place where you don't have a ton of recruits in your backyard. You don't have a strong national brand right now. And I think there could be some upside there for the Buffs. He'd be going up against a lot of good coaches in the Pac-12, sure. But I think I, I'm interested in that name for Colorado. I still like Paul Crist because I think that you know the Wisconsin and Colorado jobs are similar where you have to do more with less to some extent, I think you have a little more at Wisconsin, but I mean, not a, not, not a total ton for sure. I I think those are interesting names, but Deion Sanders, like that'd be a good hire for the buffs. Right.
1: I, I think so. And it's weird because like Deion Sanders is not a natural fit for Colorado, like whatsoever, in my opinion, but you know, usually when we talk about teams making hires and we're like, wait, really? Like that seems like an odd fit. We say that in a negative way, but I feel like this could be an, an odd hire in a good way for Colorado for the reasons you just laid out. It would make them relevant. It would make them interesting. I, I think you get the recruiting piece with Dion there. Um, I think he would absolutely generate some interest from from boosters and and I think could get the athletic department to, yeah. to really buy into this program again. Um, How do you not you, buy you into Dion Sanders? You just look at <laughs> exactly. him
0: smile and you're like, oh, I don't know what he's saying, but I agree with him
1: but I'll say this if it falls through there have been a couple of names that you know it might not be on anybody's hot board and and they might not have even reached out to these guys I don't know but I I feel like Brian Harson could kind of be a quiet solid fit for Colorado I, I think I think Tom Herman could come back to coaching and be a good fit there um you know having coached at at Houston you know a smaller school lower resources um you know, I I think those are two good football coaches who have proven that they can win and build programs up. Um, obviously, you know they were let go from their their most recent jobs for for reasons a little bit out of their control. Um, so I, I you know I, I think Colorado has has solid fallback out options out there if they don't get Dion. But I, I mean, obviously, if any school that brings in Deion Sanders is going to be interesting, and I I would kind of like to see that happen in the Pac-12.
0: I don't think Deion Sanders has a chance of being a candidate at the Stanford head coaching opening because nothing about that like that. That that that's the sort of odd fit you were talking about where it's like, OK, the, you know, that's just that just doesn't work. But David Shaw's not there. I will give endless shout outs to David Shaw because I watched him win a lot of football games in this conference. You know, we, we all forget now, but for a good, I don't know, six, six years or so. Stanford was creme de la creme in this league. And they were really good and they were really annoying to play against. And you can argue that it's passed them by, whether or not it's passed David Shaw by with NIL in the transfer portal and just the grind of recruiting and whatnot, or whether or not it's passed Stanford by. I think we're gonna see that question get answered with whoever they hire as the next coach, but I don't have a feel here. It's it's early, of course, Carter, but I don't think there's an obvious hire for Stanford because they're not going to just go hire anybody because one of the reasons they kept Shaw around longer than other programs might have is that he is such a good guy. That's why I will give him endless shadows. There is not. I'd be surprised if he's ever even said a swear word. I mean, I mean, the guy has got an impeccable reputation. I hope he goes and joins the Pac-12 network. I think he'd be a great analyst on there. He's really good on camera. But what's your feel On this Stanford job, because I feel like it's not the best job in in the world right now. And (laughs) I I think for several reasons, yeah, I I don't think there's so that leads me to think "Ah, there's not really an obvious hire. What do you make of it?
1: No, I'm in the same boat. I I don't look at at one or two guys and say, oh, he makes some sense. Or, you know, the guys that I just named for Colorado with with Herman and Harson, like those aren't Stanford fits. Um, some of the coaches who have been let go across like Paul Christ, I I don't know, maybe like Stanford is just such a, I could maybe see Chris at Stanford. Yeah. I mean, it it makes a little more sense than some of the other ones out there, but it's such a unique university and and program and athletic department. And it's going to take the absolute perfect home run hire to actually get Stanford back to where David Shaw took it for, like you said, half a decade plus, um, but I, I, you know, I just think that the job itself is not attractive anymore. Where we're at in college football with all of the things that have transpired recently and, and the developments and the step forwards that this sport has taken, Stanford has fallen behind at a rate that I don't think is matched anywhere. Um, you know, Georgia Tech has fallen off a little bit in that same way. Colorado, you know, in, in, in our conference as well, um, even Cal to an extent. But no, no, nowhere as much as Stanford. Have you seen the game pass it by as much? And I think until you get that institutional support, it might not really matter who they bring in. My yeah, it, there, it,
0: it's but... it's a, it's a fascinating situation to follow because of this era of change that we are undergoing in college sports and whether or not they're on an institutional level, like you said, going to commit to it. Whatever happens on that front, you know, we'll be covering it here on the show. Myself and my man, Carter Baines, everybody else who comes on the show, but we appreciate Carter coming on as always. Good to talk. to. There's so much to talk about. Oh my gosh. I mean, we could have, we could have done a 90 minute show. That's not how we roll here at the Lockdown Podcast Network, but 90 minute show would have been a piece of cake. Carter. Good to talk to you, man.
1: We'll have to do it sometime. Maybe just off air, (laughs) just roll hour and a half. See
0: what happens. Uh, yeah, so many things would be said. Maybe too many things. All right, that's it. See you next time. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.